So have you ever wanted to know the future? You know, Marty McFly, 88 miles per hour, going into the future, seeing what's going to happen. You know, maybe bring a little bit of it back. But it didn't work out for him too well. But uh, we do see in this parable that we're going to look at this week, Jesus actually tells us a bit of how the future is going to work. Now, he doesn't get incredibly specific and you know, tell us whether or not the Chiefs are going to win the next Super Bowl because we all know they probably will anyway. So, uh, But he does let us know kind of the nature of how things are going to work. And have you ever wanted to know, I mean, like if you just had an idea of kind of what you were going into, you don't, you know, you don't need all the details, but if you had an idea of, you know, here's kind of how things work, here's what I'm looking at, here's, here's what it's going to look like, for the foreseeable future, you can kind of get your mindset behind it, right? You can kind of figure out, okay, here's what I need to do. Here's how I can ready myself. And so Jesus kind of does that in this, in what's called the parable of the weeds. And so in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, he says this. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so again, using agricultural uh, you know, imagery, what would have been common to the, the people of his day, <clears throat> Jesus gives us a parable. Now before he talked about sowing seed. Remember we talked about that and he kind of stayed on that topic for a while and then he gets to this parable. And so we, we understand the seed to be the Word of God, to be the Gospel of Jesus Christ that bears fruit in some people when it falls on good soil. That's talking about the individual believer and how they believe. Now, Jesus gets to kind of the world at large. And so, yes, our God is going to sprinkle good seed on good soil, and it is going to grow. We have seen that. We saw that last week, that when the Word of God lands on fertile soil, it does what it always does. It produces fruit. The Word of God is guaranteed to produce fruit in a heart that is fertile and ready to hear it. That's what it does. In fact, God told us that in Isaiah. He says, My word which I send out for me will not return to me void, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. And so the word of God will always bear fruit. And that's what he gets at starting out here. He says, you know, the, the farmer sows good seed in his field, so he knows what he's doing. It's sown, it's in good soil. But what happens? An enemy comes up and sows weeds among them. And there's no way to know at this moment that it's happened. It happens at night where everybody's sleeping, and he sows weeds, just the seeds of them, into the same field, and so they all start growing. And it says as they began to produce grain, that's they started to notice. They're like, hey, 
there are weeds here. And they ask, what do we do? What do we do? And Jesus, er, the, the master says, well, just leave them be and we'll take care of it at harvest. Now, the reasoning for that we're going to get into, but one of the things that, you know, remember parables are there with stories that are easily understood on the surface, but the deeper meaning you kind of got to dig. You got to really think about it because Jesus said he spoke in parables so that they would be ever hearing but never understanding. So that if somebody didn't really want the truth, they would miss the truth of this story. And so we, we want to be people of truth, right? We want to dig into it as much as we can and try to find every bit. And one of them that we see in this is that God is in fact sovereign. God is sovereign over everything. And this is something right now that I, everybody, we have got to remember that. Because he, he talks about, you know, the, he sows the good seed, it's growing, the weed is growing, it's all looking good, and these weeds appear, and it's like the, the workers come to him and they're like, what do we do? There are weeds. This is bad. And you get the sense that the, the owner of the land, the master, does not, like he doesn't even seem to get upset, does he? He just goes, hey, an enemy has done this. He understands exactly what's going on. And they say, well, do you want us to go gather it up? And he says, no, 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 don't. Don't do that, because if you do, you'll root up the good weed too. So just wait and just let things play out. And you get the sense that this, this master right here, this farmer, is in full control of the situation. Like he, He's not knocked off center one bit by what has happened here. He already knows what he's going to do. He knows how he's going to handle it. He knows what the weeds are. He knows everything that has happened and even knows the motivation behind it. He says an enemy has done this. He knows that this was done maliciously, like, like all of it. And yet, what is his concern? His concern is the well-being of the good crop. His concern is not for the weeds. His concern is not for getting revenge on the enemy that, took, that, that did it. His concern is the preservation of the wheat. Now, we don't have to you know, dig very deep to understand we are the wheat in this, in, in this passage. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who put their faith in God, are the ones that He is preserving. And so we can look at this and come to the conclusion that God is in full control of the situation. Now, can we agree we can look at the world and go, man, it doesn't look like full control. I, I, I watch the news and I don't get the feeling that He's in full control. I see weeds. I, I see destruction. I see the, the malicious enemy sowing seeds of discord and weeds into society. It doesn't feel like He's in control. But what does he say here? He says, I'm not going to get rid of that until the very end. And his reasoning isn't what we often think of. His reasoning is because he loves his people too much to do that. Because he's protecting his people through that process. You see, none of us really thinks about what, what would it mean for God to truly judge all sin right now. If he were to just wipe out all sin in this world and, and, and fix everything right now, you know what would happen? It would destroy every one of us. You know, I saw a meme on Facebook this week that said sin would be a lot less appealing if the consequences were immediate. And while I agree to the sentiment of that, if the consequences were immediate, we would all be dead. 
Because what are the wages of sin? Death. Ultimately, sin leads to death. And if the, if the wages were immediate, if the consequences were immediate, we would die immediately. Like the world would have nobody in it. So yeah, the problem itself would be solved, but there would be no life either. And that's exactly what Jesus tells us this parable is, that he says, should we go pull up the weeds? And he says, no. Should we go deal with all this sin and just eradicate it right now? No, because if you do, you'll destroy what I've been building. You'll destroy the good crop. And so God, in this instance, has stayed His hand sovereignly. Okay, That means He's in control. He's not looking for a solution. He's not waiting for us to get our act together so He can act. God has stayed His hand in destroying the world for one reason and one reason only, and that is grace. That is grace for His. He has stayed His hand because He is protecting and He's protecting me. So the next time we look at the world and we think, God, would you please do something? We might look and say, God, thank you for tolerating us. Because if He did do what we wanted, like right now, it would cause untold damage to to, to the good crop, to the wheat, to those who have the kingdom planted within them. And so as we look at that, When we say God is sovereign, I want you to think about His sovereignty in light of this verse now. Okay? Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. Well, think of this. In the parable, they say, do you want us to go pull up the weeds? Do you want us to say, no, don't do that, lest you uproot the, the crop too. So the fact that he didn't uproot the weeds was working together for what? For the good of those who belong to him. It was working together for the good. Like he's saying, I'm not going to uproot the weeds because I don't want to destroy my people. I have a kingdom. God has a kingdom that he is building. And he's going to see that through to the end. He will not sacrifice his kingdom just because the enemy tried to sabotage it. And so we live in a broken world in which weeds and wheat are going to live side by side until the very end. Now when I say, would you like to know the future? Well, honestly, that is the future that we can look forward to in this world. Now I say look forward to it. We may not like it. We may look at it and go, well, God, couldn't you do better? Not and save the people He's going to save. No. He says here, it will uproot the good. It will destroy the good. And so we can get our minds now kind of in a place of like, okay, evil, evil is going to exist in this world all the way until the very end. Now what does he say? He says, in the end, I will tell them first, go gather up the weeds, then I'll gather up into my barn, i.e. heaven, my people. Now, I'm, you know, this is kind of a different discussion, but I just have to say it. The, the dispensational understanding of like a secret rapture where believers are taken out of the world first is kind of in contradiction to this. Because Jesus right here told a parable that said, first will be the gathering of the unbelievers, then the believers. And so all the way until the end, what we're going to have is a world in which God is in full control and allows evil to continue to exist. And this sounds contradictory, but it's not for the good of His people. 
Not that evil itself is good, that's not what I'm saying, but if God were to remove all evil from this world, it would do untold damage to us. It would destroy and upset the world so much, it would destroy creation so much, that we would not be able to continue to live and God's kingdom would not be built to the point where God wants it to be. And so God is going in His sovereignty, in His wisdom, is choosing to stay His hand for a time against judging and removing evil from this world. Why? Because that judgment is going to be so cataclysmic that when we read the book of Revelation, we see that the earth is burned up. The earth is completely destroyed. The heavens are destroyed. Creation itself as we know it is destroyed in that judgment and there is a new heaven and a new earth that come in that God creates. And so we live in kind of this temporary world right now where good and evil are going to coexist. And sometimes they're going to be hard to distinguish from one another. Because what Jesus tells us in this parable, when He says the weed that is sown, it's a specific kind of weed. Okay, It was a weed called darnel. And darnel looked just like weed until it reached full maturity. But here's the major difference. Darnel's grains are poisonous. Wheat is nutritious. And so all the way up until it's almost time for harvest, they're going to grow side by side. They're going to look alike. They're going to sound alike. They're going to, to appear to be the same thing. And then when they start producing grain, that's where you read in the parable, it says they came and they're like, oh, we got weeds. But you see, this was a bigger problem than just weeds. Because if you harvested all of it together, what did you have? You had poisonous grains mixed in with the good grains and the entire crop was rendered. You see, the enemy knew what he was doing. He didn't just sow weeds just for weeds' sake. He put a weed in that would poison the crop that would make it unusable. And they see it growing, and that's why they've kind of panicked. Because they're like, man, this looks like wheat. And if we harvest this together, the whole crop's going to be lost. Should we go pull it up right now? And that's where he says, nope, no, nope, no, nope, just wait. Because when it did reach full growth, and the grain had appeared and it was harvest time, you could easily tell them apart. Now, does that sound like Jesus? It was only in the growing phase that they looked alike, but when it reached full maturity, the darnel and the wheat were easily differentiated at that point. Well, what he's talking about is judgment. You see, there will be in this world, there will be an evil that is going to exist that's going to be in a sense, indistinguishable from the good. They're going to live side by side, but some will be wheat, some will be tares, some will be weeds, and all the way until judgment, we won't know the difference. But when it comes time for judgment, the difference will be easy. There will be those who trusted and put their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and those who didn't. And that's all that's going to matter. That is genuinely all that is going to matter. Either you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you believed that He was the Son of God who died on the cross for your sin, was raised again on the third day, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. If You either believed that or you didn't. If you put your faith in it, guess what? You're wheat. The kingdom is planted within you and it will bear fruit at the judgment and will show itself for what it is. If you don't believe that, what does He say will happen? It will be tied up in the, to be burned. That they will be bundled together and cast 
into... And so right now, God in His sovereignty allows evil to continue to exist because destroying it will destroy the good work He is doing. God is building His kingdom. And He continues to build it. And He will build it throughout all of history until that moment when He says it is completely finished. His kingdom is ready. All who are going to be saved have been saved. Then He will separate the... And so... Today we have what many philosophers talk about, the problem of evil. If God is all good and God is all powerful, why does evil exist? And they think they're clever. And I mean that. They think they're clever with that argument. What they don't know is that that's really a new argument. For most of human history, people had no problem with that because they're like, well, because people are evil. Because God gave us a choice and we chose sin and we broke the world. But evil continues to exist, and here's your answer, because God is good. Because He does not want to destroy the entire world right now, and so He has stayed His hand in His sovereignty, and the problem of evil is not really a problem. It proves God's power, and it proves God's sovereignty, and it proves His love for His people. That He is willing, that that a holy God is willing to tolerate evil in His creation so that He doesn't have to destroy those who believe in Him, I think speaks to His grace and His love. It doesn't reveal any kind of weakness or character flaw in God. It reveals His power and His grace. And so we, we go into life now with the belief that, yeah, God is sovereign. He's in control of this. He really is. Even despite what I think, what I feel, or what I see to be true in this world, I can trust at the end of the day that God is truly in control. Nothing surprises Him. You ever get surprised by things? Startled? God is never surprised. He's never startled. He's never reactive and like, oh, what am I going to do now? That's not God. God is in full control of everything. And so we get the, the, the knowledge that God is in control, but there's another truth that we need to take from this passage on the parable of the weeds, and that is the fact that we have an enemy. Know your enemy. Because we have a world that we live in that is going to be bombarded by the kingdom of God and by the kingdom of darkness all at the same time. It's going to keep happening our entire lives. So if, if, you're, if you're living life thinking, man, one day I'll be so glad when, when everything is good. Not going to happen in this world. There will always be something wrong. Okay, the weeds are going to show their fruit continuously throughout our existence. But are people the enemy in that? No. Ephesians tells us we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against principalities, against spiritual powers of darkness. Our enemy is spiritual. And and so we've got to think about this parable, uh, again, just a little deeper for a moment, where he says, you know, there were good seed that was planted in good soil. That means that the gospel will forever bear fruit in this world. It's going to happen, but that the enemy comes along in darkness and plants seeds of discord, of hate, of evil. 
in that same world in which we live, and that is going to continue. And so we have to be on guard against the schemes of the devil. We have to be on guard against the schemes of our enemy. Because he is never going to stop. Now, the fact he's never going to stop, that doesn't mean, okay, now understand this, that doesn't mean that he's going to win. Nor does it mean he is winning, nor does it mean that the fact that he gets to plant weeds, does it in any way hinder or stop the growth of God's kingdom? He can't do that. So the good seed is always going to bear good fruit in this world, and Satan cannot stop that. And we should all take hope in that. that, that look, he, <clears throat> he is completely powerless to stop the work of God. So all he can try to do is balance the scale in this world is what he's trying to do. God's planting his seed, says, okay, I'll plant my seed too. And I'll try to confuse everything and I'll try to make it so, so mixed together that, that the harvest can't happen. And what does the parable say? He says, no, the, the, the landowner is still ahead of him. He says, oh, no, no, in the end, don't worry, I'm going to gather up the weeds and throw those away. They can't stop, but that doesn't mean he's not. Our enemy is very real. He is unseen, he is spiritual, he is powerful, and listen, he is very, very good at what he does. And I mean that, he is very, very good at what he does. He has been defeating man from the beginning. You and I can't beat him on our own. We will lose every single time, okay? We are no match for him. But he can't stand, he, he cannot stand up against God. So that's why we have to be aware of, we have an enemy that is absolutely going to best us on our own every time. He will win that battle every time. But when we're walking with God, we can't lose. When the kingdom of God is planted within us, He can't stop it. He can't make it not grow. When we till our heart and we are good soil, as we saw last week, it's going to produce fruit. God is going to produce good things in your life. And don't let the presence of weeds in this world or struggles convince you that God's not working because He is. See, that's one of the things our enemy wants to do is he wants you to see the weeds and he wants you to despair. He wants you to give up. Like, oh, there's no hope. Look at all the weeds. <clears throat> Where you know what the landowner says? Yeah, but I, I planted a good crop too. And it's growing. Take hope in the good crop, not in the weeds. You see, in, in Ephesians 2, 1-3, through 3, Paul says this. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, <clears throat> like the rest of mankind. You see, this, this Scripture kind of gives us the image of a current, of a flow that went a certain direction. And he says, look, all of us used to just, <clears throat> used to just go along with that flow. <clears throat> Every one of us used to just go along with that flow until what? What changed? The gospel of Jesus Christ came into our life. The Holy Spirit came into our life. God made us alive 
through His grace, and He says, now you no longer follow the prince of the power of the air. Now, who is that? That is our enemy, the prince of the power of the air. He, he kind of pulls the strings on this world. He's the puppet master behind all the evil that we see in this world. He's the one that planted the seeds. He's the one that made that happen. But for all that he does, God still plants his goods because Satan cannot stop it. And so we need not be afraid of our enemy. Okay, you ever met people that are, I mean, genuinely afraid of our enemy? You know, Satan's behind every corner. Everything is always, he's, he's going to get you. And, you know, they're just afraid. I've met people and they spend their whole time praying and rebuking Satan all the time. And, and, and I say, look, we don't need to live in fear. Don't give him more power than he has. Don't engage him on your own terms because you'll lose. But if you just follow the ways of God, if you fill your life with the things of God, follow the Spirit, walk with Jesus, you'll be protected. And you need not fear him at all. You don't need to fear Him. You just need to be aware of Him. And there is a huge difference in those two. Don't be afraid, but be aware. You see, fear leads us to do stupid things, right? Fear leads to stupidity. I, I really believe that. Okay, that's when we start doing things that are out of care. All kind. And Satan wants us afraid because he knows that. You know what the most common phrase in all of Scripture is? Fear not. Now, most of the time, that's said every time an angel shows up because they're scaring everybody half to death. And you're standing there, an angel shows up. Ah! And he's like, hey, don't be afraid. He's like, well, too late for that, man. You ever know, you'll read the Bible, you'll see that. Now, every time an angel shows up, those are first words, fear not. Because I'm sure people are just like, whoa, what? You know. But over and over, the Bible tells us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because God is sovereign. He isn't. He's got this. And even though we see the weeds, and even though we know we have a pernicious enemy out there who, who wants to destroy everything he can, we also know we have a God who will protect us. And he cannot win against him. There is nothing Satan can do against God. I mean, you really start to think about it now. The worst he can do is plant seeds of discord in the world. He can't even touch the kingdom of God. He can't do anything to it. So he knows I've got to, pull, I've got to move down a few levels and this is where I'm going to operate because I can't touch God. And so think again now, knowing our enemy, knowing what he does, think again what the owner said when he said in verse 30, let them both, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat and to give all of us hope. It's like, you know what? In the end, this really is going to work out. And not just work out. Like this is, the, the, the enemy is going to get what's coming to him. The weeds are, are going to be identified and separated and the wheat is going to be preserved as it was intended. That means we have a future that is secure that is on track, that is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed. Nothing can touch it. And so what do we do with that now? Well, we adjust our expectations. Adjust expectations. What do we expect from this world, from this life right now? What do we expect? 
Because if we expect that one day everything's going to be awesome all the time and there's not going to be any evil and we can fix every problem that's out there, if we're expecting that, guess what? You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be very disappointed and very frustrated with life because those weeds are just going to keep coming. You know, some of you are some master gardeners out there, but you would get very frustrated if you weeded your garden and then every night I came out and threw some more in there. And every time you'd pull them up, then more would start growing, you eventually would be like, where is this coming from? Why are the weeds? I mean, you would just be livid. You would be beside yourself with frustration eventually of like, what is going on? But some of us live that way in life. We think, man, God, when's it ever going to quit? And God's like, it's not. It's, it's not. Now, I'll give you rest and I will take care of you, but the weeds are always going to be there in this world. And so we have to adjust our thinking to make room for the fact that evil and good are going to exist side by side in this world until the very end. And you know, even the Apostle Paul had to learn this lesson. Did you know that? Like even the apostles, like they, they, they didn't know that sometimes you've got to temper your expectations. And you've got to live in the truth. Because you see, this isn't about perfection. Okay, God's goal is not that any of us are ever perfect in this world. It's not going to happen. In fact, that's not even God's will. He's not like, hey, one day you're going to be perfect. That's, that's not, it's not going to happen. That's why we need grace. That's why Jesus died on the cross. If we could achieve perfection in this life, the cross is unnecessary. And so we can, we, we can now live, in a sense, embracing fallibility. Now, that's not embracing sin, but embracing the fact that I am imperfect and I will be imperfect for the rest of my life, and it's okay. Now, some of you in here right now, do you are perfectionists, and you're like, yeah, we'll see. I'm almost there. And inside, you're bristling against that. It's like, nope, I'm, I, I refuse to accept that. Listen, perfectionism implies that you have more control than you do. And it really is a lack of trust in God to work it out. Now, like I said, this is not embracing sin. That is a whole different thing. But embracing fallibility means that I embrace that I am an imperfect creature and I'm just not ever going to have it all together. And so I'm going to depend on God's grace to get me through in my imperfection. You see, embracing fallibility forces us to dependence upon God. Perfectionism says I can get there on my own without God. Or if God helps, it'll even be better. But if we embrace the fact that we are fallible, we are imperfect in an imperfect world, then it forces us into dependence upon God. And there is nowhere better that a person can be in this world than dependent. And the Apostle Paul learned this. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, listen to this. Paul said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So God had seen, or, or Paul had seen heaven. He, he knew spiritual truth at a level that most people didn't. And God's like, I, I got to humble you. He knew human nature. And even in the apostle Paul, he said, I know I've given you a whole lot of insight and I've shown you what heaven is. And, and I have, I have given you spiritual revelations at a level that other people don't get. So I got to humble you. And he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. 
in his sovereignty, God allowed this to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is that? That is embracing his fallibility. He's not boasting it like, oh, look, here's my sin. He's not holding sin up. He's not embracing sin. But he is saying, I understand where I'm weak. I understand where I'm imperfect. And in those things is where I'm dependent on God. And when I'm dependent on God, His grace is active. That's what I want. He embraced His fallibility. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Now, what is contentment? Contentment means being satisfied, that it's okay, it's enough. Could it be more? Yeah. Could it be better? Yeah, but I'm content. I don't need it to be better. Contentment is when you don't have a need for more. Could there be more? Well, yeah. Could it be better? Yeah. But you know what? I'm content. I don't need it to be. I am perfectly happy here and, and sometimes people who aren't content look at contentment and they're like, how are you content? How can you be satisfied? How can you be happy right now? And say, well, that's what contentment is. I don't need more. And he says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is that? Paul adjusted his expectations. You see, in this moment, he, he had this messenger of Satan come. I don't know what it was. Nobody knows what it was. But it was something that he's like, that's got to go. I, he literally, it's the first time, he's like, that's got to go. And this is three times. He went to God and he's like, God, this has to change. This has to go away. This, no more. I cannot live like this, God. I mean, I don't think there was much the Apostle Paul had to pray for three times. But he says three times he went and God finally said, no, I won't change it. I won't take it away. My grace is sufficient. And Paul adjusted his expectations to reality. Okay, this is the way things are. This is how it's always going to be. It's not going away. And so as I accept it, now I understand I am dependent on God in all things. And when I'm dependent on Him, He's glorified. And when He's glorified, people get saved and good things happen. That's what I want. I'm content. I am content with the world as it is. Now, did he know? Did he think that was the end of the story? Absolutely not, because he had seen heaven. Paul even said, I know a man who, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven and saw things that are not lawful to talk about. Like there was stuff that God showed Paul that he couldn't tell others about. So, see, he adjusted his expectations for now. He said, I get it. This life is like this, but here's what's coming. So I can make it through this because of it. But it was real for him. It wasn't just talk of like, oh yeah, one day it's going to be better. I'm really tired of it. This was genuine hope for him that he's like, no, I know what's coming. And I'm excited about it. And I'm going to tell people about it. And I'm willing to suffer because I know what's coming. This right here, you get in Romans, he says, I don't even consider the sufferings of this world worthy to be compared with the glory that has yet to be revealed. So he said, there's no comparison. I know what's coming. I can deal with this. 
See, he adjusted expectations. He didn't adjust them down. He didn't adjust them up. He adjusted them to reality. This is what it is right now. And within that, and we avoid two extremes. Okay, we avoid two extremes. One, that the world will eventually not be broken. Again, you're going to be disappointed. If you ever think things are always going, you know, just going to be perfect, it's never going to happen. We've got to adjust our expectations away from that. But we also, then the second thing is that we get to get away from the idea that nothing good can happen. No, plenty of good is going to happen. And we can rejoice in that and we can look at it and say, this, look, God is growing His kingdom. The weed is growing. And there's fruit and it's good. And I rejoice in that. And we can embrace that and rejoice in it and find hope while understanding that the weeds are also always going to exist. It's not going away, but that the weeds never negate the weed. Never. And so my challenge for you today is to look at your life and find the weed. Where is God working? Because He is. He is. Where is God working? Have you maybe gotten so focused on the the weeds in the world that you've lost hope of what He is growing? But trust me, He is working in your life. You're not here today by accident. God is sovereign. He brought you here today. He wants you to hear this message because He wants you to see that He is growing in your life. And He wants you to find hope in what God is doing.